Hi, everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 51, the one-year anniversary episode of RV Miles. Yay! Happy anniversary, Jason. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Got you on my mind. I have no idea what that means. The song, Happy Anniversary, Baby, got you on my mind. Never heard it in my life. Happy anniversary, baby. Got you on my mind. You've never heard that song? No. You've never heard that song? No. You will edit out the fact that I just sang on this podcast, right? No. <laughs> to get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also find RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to keep up with Jason and I as we travel around the country in our converted school bus, we are over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. On today's episode, we're going to talk about setting up a campsite. Everything you need to do from pulling into the park to cracking open the first beer. And you know what? It doesn't have to be as complicated as sometimes Pinterest makes it look. No. But if you really like to make it complicated, hey, we're here for that Yeah, too. we are so here for that as well. <laughs> we love your patio lights and your rug. We're coming over. But first, we would like to welcome on our one year anniversary, a new sponsor. This episode is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean believes the more time you spend outside together, the better. And we completely agree with that. That's why they design products that make it easier to take longer walks, have deeper talks, and never worry about the weather. Discover clothing, outerwear, footwear, and gear made for every type of adventure with the outside built right in. Because on the inside, we're all outsiders. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. I'm very excited to have L.L. Bean around for a while. Yeah. Not only will they be with us here at RV Miles, they are the presenting sponsor of the America's National Parks podcast. Yes, they are. And did you know, I'm not sure actually if you know this or not, Jason, that our very first encounter with L.L. Bean was when we bought Jack's very first backpack for school. Oh, (laughs) that remember that cute. Yes. Oh, I loved that backpack. It was his little kindergarten. His little kindergarten. That was one of those purchases that really tugged at my heartstrings because I was sending my littlest man off to school and I wanted him to have like the most perfect little backpack that was just big enough, but not too big because he was still so little. Oh, I loved that backpack. Sorry, that's a total tangent, but. Loved that L.L. Bean backpack. Thrilled that they're going to be around for a while. Great to have them here. All right. Let's get into it. Um, Since we mentioned the America's National Parks podcast, let's just get that out of the way first. Our new episode is out and it is on Theodore Roosevelt National Park. If you aren't aware, Theodore Roosevelt uh, was a big fan of North Dakota and spent a lot of time there in the area that is now known as Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And he tragically lost his wife and his mother on the same day. It was on Valentine's Day, two days after his first child was born. He was only 25 years old, I think. And uh, and he escaped to North Dakota to sort of ignore you know, all those feelings. Um, well, he thought he was going to spend the rest of his life there. He you know, said uh, he thought he, he was going to move to North Dakota and be a cattle rancher. And that was going to be it. Yeah. And that did not 
clearly end up happening for <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. I loved this episode. I mean, I always love the National Park episodes, but this one was a re- it felt really personal in a sense that this was a picture of Roosevelt that you don't often hear talked about a lot. These earlier years, these formative years and the power of what nature did for him to heal yeah. him, but then also how it really shaped and influenced his love for the outdoors for the rest of his life. And I don't think if he had had those experiences, then I think we would not have had a national park service in the no, way he, that we had. It wouldn't have been as booming as Roosevelt made it. He signed into law five new national parks and created the antiquities act. And once that was signed into law, he, uh, he was able to name 18 national monuments. Yeah. But can we talk about the confusing setup of the national monument? I get why it's there, but it's like anything and everything can just be a national monument. I know everyone, a lot of people, people that are new to the idea of experiencing, exploring national monuments in particular, think that a monument is like the gateway arch or the Washington Memorial, you know, things like that. Those are actually normally called memorials Yeah, (laughs) and a monument could be anything. A monument is just land. A president has set aside. The only difference between a national park and a national monument is a national park is named by Congress and a national monument is named by a president. And, and we have lots of national monuments that certainly rival some of our best national parks out there. Absolutely. And whatever the decision was or however he got the job done, boy, are we glad he got the job done. In the news this week, uh, North Dakota, speaking of North Dakota, you know, it was a sad story. Uh, Recently, there was a EF2 tornado that sort of ripped through a, um, a town and destroyed 120 structures including the Prairie View RV Park in Waterford City last week. And, uh, you know, it resulted in in a death and and some injuries. And the county administrators and other officials in North Dakota are looking to to sort of put into place regulations to help establish some safety protocols and, and, and rules for these. There's a whole bunch of RV parks up in North Dakota that are essentially just temporary housing for the oil boom, um, pipeline workers, and they were built faster than towns were built around them. So there's not a lot of places to go, not a lot of uh, safety structures and all that. So I'm a little concerned that they might go too far with the, the, some of the language that has been used by some of these county officials about like getting rid of RV part of RV housing and not allowing it, not allowing people to live full time in an RV, that sort of stuff. You know, sometimes when there's tragedy like this, we tend to overreact with legislation. Um, but obviously something, you know, should be done to to help make sure that RV parks are providing safe places for people to stay. Yeah. And I suspect that this isn't something North Dakota is accustomed to dealing with an overabundance of people in one place. Right. Yeah. So no. it's understandable that they're kind of reaching and grasping, I think, a little bit in the dark. Okay, um, that's our only one and only news item for this week. Wanted to talk a little bit about a letter we got from a listener. The nicest letter we got from a listener. We always get nice letters. I don't mean to imply that this is the nicest, but it was a very nice letter to read this week. Yeah, this is from Chris Petroff in 
uh, he wanted to drop us a note to let us know that he's really enjoying our podcast. And uh, they have been traveling small towns across the country, and they wanted to comment on last week's episode, which was about small towns, and mention some other small towns that we might like and our listeners might like. They just spent 10 days in Maryland and Pennsylvania, and they wanted to recommend Frederick, Maryland, saying it's a must-see on your East Coast trip, 45 minutes from Gettysburg and an hour outside of Baltimore. Great smallish town with an awesome main street. They also have a minor league baseball team and tons of activities for families. Couldn't recommend this town more. And then they went on to recommend reading Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is where the big Hershey RV show is every year. The town, you know, like triples in size when the when the big RV show. Yeah, that's comes not in. small town America when the RV show <laughs> rolls into town. And of course, there's the Hershey theme park there and the factory and uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And they're also from Arizona and wanted to recommend Williams, Arizona, off of Route 66 and Pine Top, Arizona. Glad I found your podcast and look forward to more shows. I'm so glad he wrote because we acknowledged, I think, on last week's podcast, too, that we have not had the opportunity to explore the East yet. And I'm so glad that he was able to share some small towns in the East, definitely an area that we are not as familiar with. Hope to rectify that soon. So it was appreciated that we could throw that out there for anyone that wants to head that way. Do you know what time it is? Hammer time. <laughs> it's oh. time for the app of the week. Oh, you know what? In my mind, the other night I was thinking about this because what else do I have to do when I'm making dinner and just kind of like bored and thinking about stuff? I was thinking that it'd be really great if you had like app of the week and then the words were like boom, boom, boom. And we had some crazy music and it was just like we should just really trip it out. Yeah, we should just really, really trip this out and we can just do a whole thing on it. We'll get someone to do like a crazy like app of the week, you know, <laughs> that would be very fun. I know you we would really like it. that. Jason's app of the week. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think. That's that's the next year. This is the next level of yeah. the RV Miles podcast. When we when we can afford to hire an editor and, and uh, <laughs> you know, production music and all that. Why would we want to do that? You yeah. enjoy so much doing this oh, every week. It. The app for this week is, it's called The Outbound, and it's from The Outbound Collective. And there's a website as well. But if you're looking it up in the App Store, it's available on uh, the Apple App Store and Google Play, and it's called The Outbound. And what this app is, it is sort of a list uh, of nearby things to do that are outdoorsy, uh, curated by people that are on the app. So instead of something like all trails where you can find the trails nearby uh, or all stays where you can find the campgrounds nearby, this is going to provide you with things like uh, it's going to provide you with trails. You'll find be able to find trails, but also good photography spots. So if you're near, say we're in Kansas City right now and I'm looking at it right now and there, here's a, a spot recommended to photograph the Kansas City skyline and it you know, tells you how, where to hike to find the right spot where they took this photo. Good uh, spots to just chill out. Good places to go, you know, have a picnic. Where to go swimming, where to go backpacking, fishing, running, uh, snowshoeing, rock climbing, cycling, that sort of stuff all together, all nearby. These individual guides are all really good. They have star ratings and 
descriptions and then a list of what you should pack and bring with you and a list of rules if there are rules in this location, uh, that kind of stuff and how far how far it's going to take you to get to the place once you park. Wow. Elevation have, gain features, all kinds of stuff. They have left nothing to chance yeah. in this app. There's like this is like the ultimate mom's packing list. Yeah. They have not thought of they've they have thought of everything and then some. It's, you know, it's been on my phone for a very long time and I hadn't started using it. Until because you recently. couldn't find it in your disorganized app. Maybe I app have a few too many apps. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but I've started using it and I got to say, it's really useful to find. I don't know how to explain this. We're not always looking for a hike. We're not always looking for a museum. So if you go on to TripAdvisor, you get everything, right? You go on to road trippers, you get, uh, you get everything. You go on to this, you get just outdoor activities. I think that's really cool. I do too, especially for us, because that's always our number one focus when we roll into a new town is we would like to experience its outdoor entertainment. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have the answer to last week's brain teaser. And then we're going to talk about all the different things that you can do to set up your camp the right way. We'll be right back. All right, we are back with the answer to last week's brain teaser. It went like this. Lisa engaged in a strange activity. Her birthday was approaching, and she decided to collect money for her birthday bash. On the first day of the month, she kept a dollar in her piggy bank. On the second, she kept two dollars. And on the third, she kept three dollars and so on. On her birthday, she had a total of two hundred and seventy-six dollars in her piggy bank. Can you calculate on which day of the month was her birthday? And the answer to this was the 23rd. And the easiest way to do this is really just to add one plus two plus three plus four plus five and count how many numbers that you add on the 23rd day. You get 276. All right, then. <laughs> The winner this week is Martha Levinson from Oregon, who will be receiving a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. Thanks so much for playing along, Martha. And thank you to everyone else who wrote in. We hope you'll write in again this week. We'll have a new brain teaser at the end of the show. We're going to talk about tips for setting up your campsite. We've got a lot to get through. Some things you might not have thought about. Some things that are going to be routine for some of you. But I think there's a lot in here for everybody to glean something about setting up their campsite. But first, this segment is sponsored by Boondockers Welcome. Built by RVers for RVers, Boondockers Welcome offers a unique and inspiring way to travel, connecting you, the RVer, with welcoming local hosts that have overnight RV parking to spare. Boondockers Welcome is built on the spirit that kindness and generosity abound. And for only $30 a year, you too can arrange as many stays as you like to pass a night with those who love the RV lifestyle as much as you do. And best of all, Boondockers Welcome is offering RV Miles listeners 
10% off an annual guest privilege subscription with coupon code RV miles. That's all one word. That's 10% off an annual guest subscription code with RV miles. That's at boondockerswelcome.com. And I am impressed because you and I are on the boondockers welcome mailing list every week. The number of new hosts they add is incredible to me. There is a vast array of individuals who are opening up their land, their driveway, whatever, to RVers out on the road. And it's growing leaps and bounds every year. It's more than a really good deal. It's a great community to be a part of. Absolutely. check it out. Yeah. Coupon code RVMILES for 10% off at boondockerswelcome.com. All right. Arriving at the campground and setting up. Jason, this is, I think, your favorite part of camping. When it goes well. (laughs) When it goes well. And sometimes it doesn't go well. But you (laughs) have you seen that T-shirt that there's like an ad that I get all the time on Facebook because I'm in so so many RV groups that is for a T-shirt that says I'm I'm sorry for what I said when setting up the campsite. Yes, I (laughs) or when backing into the campsite or something like that. (laughs) I absolutely want to buy that for you. I think that that would be the shirt that you need to wear every time that we travel. But when it does go well, it's your favorite thing. I will for me. Generally, before we get started, how we kind of divide it up is Jason usually handles everything that happens outside and I handle everything that happens inside. For whatever reason, the kids seem to just want to stay inside. So Jason (laughs) is outside and it's all like real easy and chill. He doesn't have three little people under his feet in a small space and he's out there hanging hammocks and getting out the grill and I'm in the bus and I'm like, can you please move? Can you go over here? Could you, can you hand me that? And finally it gets to the point where I'm like, get out. Everybody get out. Go find your dad. Go find your bikes. Get out well, so I can do this. I think we've seen this recommendation many times. And, you know, it's one of those things that you want to do. But get your kids involved. Get them job. They should have jobs in setting up the campsite. Oh, yes. It's yes, something yes. we should we should absolutely do. It's one of those things people tell you and you're like the, the idea of figuring it out. You're like, gosh, it's so much easier to just do it myself. We really we really ought to be doing that at some point. Uh, we will. But yeah, but we don't yet. <laughs> you're right. We don't. But let's be honest, though, too. Sometimes you arrive at camp and as wonderful and as euphoric as it sounds for all of us together to set up the camp and have this beautiful family bonding moment. Look, sometimes you get to camp and it's 530 and people are hungry and tired and you have been traveling all day and you're hot and you just want to get it done. And as much as your kids can help, sometimes the best thing for the family is to let them go outside, run around, get their energy out because they've been sitting all day and let mom and dad get things settled. Yeah. And I don't I have no shame in that. I kick the kids out and I get the stuff I need to get done so that I can be there for them, make dinner, and we can all get on to enjoying our weekend. So we've said this before. Checklists are super helpful in getting things done quickly, correctly, so you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. You aren't confused. It it just it it makes everything more efficient. So we've put a checklist together and we're going to provide that in the show notes as well. First of all, arriving at the campground, you're you're 
setting up your campsite starts as you're driving into the campground, right? So first of all, if it's a place where you have to check in, obviously you're going to check in. If it's a place where you've reserved in, the, in advance and there's no check-in, like often state parks and national parks are where you have a site number already, make sure on your way there you know what the site number is. And we often look at the map on our phone or whatever so we know what the driving route through the campground is going to be for our site so that we have that just in our minds and ready to go when we arrive. Because that's that can be kind of confusing to figure out the different loops of a campground. Sometimes they make no sense. Sometimes they're not even numbered or lettered. They're named one way this, one way that. Yeah. So it's really useful to be able to know where you're going in advance. And if not, when you check in, make sure you know where you're going. And sometimes they have somebody to guide you, which is awesome. Uh, But often you're, you're kind of on your own to figure it out. If you are not going to have hookups, and there's fresh water at the campground, you're going to want to fill up your freshwater tank before you get to the campsite at wherever the spigot is, usually near the dump station, so that you don't get to your campsite and set up and realize, hey, I didn't get water. You're also going to want to, if you're, if you're towing a car like we do, disconnect your car, take it off the dolly, or if you have a, a if you're towing four down, disconnect it from your motorhome near the front of the campground, near the parking lot, somewhere where there's open space so that you're not doing it on that campground road outside of your site and blocking traffic for a while. And it's just one less step. And sometimes it's hard to make some of those turns in in campgrounds with that. Well, and we like as well when we do this to have you follow me. So I'll actually go first in the van and it's a little bit easier for me to go find the spot I can park and then I'm there waiting for you when you arrive and we can immediately start unhooking and backing in because if you're coming in at a busy time of day, it's just nice for everyone involved to not take a lot of time blocking up the road. Before you pull into the campsite, get out and go check it out. Make sure you're going to fit in it, first of all, and check for dead trees and dead tree limbs that that could be dangerous. That can be a real serious thing in, you know, a lot of the places that are heavily wooded. I highly recommend that you test the power. If you have hookups, if you have an electric site, test the power before pulling into the campsite. And all it takes is to say, if you've got a, a, a surge protector and an EMS that has a readout that tells you if this, if this uh, electricity is safe, which everybody should have, it only takes a second. Just go plug it in there. You can just leave it there then and and make sure the power is good because what one out of 10, one out of 20, maybe campsites don't have working power in our experience. And take it from those of us who've been there and started to set up and then realized we had yeah. no power. Especially if it's like the last thing you did was like yeah. plugged in. Oh, uh, man, it's so rough. Yeah, it's so rough. Then you're going to back into your campsite. Uh, if it's a back end, if it's a pull through, you just pull in in the first place and, you know, that's easy enough. But if it's a back end site, make sure that your ho- that your hoses and your power cable are going to reach the hookups wherever you're parking so that you can, you know, easily hook everything up without having to move again. Can we talk about the number of electrical sites that actually make this difficult? 
for RVers. Well, who is planning where to put the electrical I, box? Who, it's the the person that decides what the shortest run of run of <laughs> cables that they can that they can do. We are not an overly yeah. large RV in regards to our length. And there have been enough times where we have been in a space and we have had to move that front of the bus right to the very edge of the camp space in order to make that reach to the electrical box. Well, and then sometimes the the sewer hookup is nowhere near it or the sewer hookup is underneath where the RV is parked. So you have to plug in them back up or crawl under your RV. There's some weird stuff that camp ties up. Sometimes the electrical box, sometimes all the hookups are on the op- wrong side of the site. This could be its own episode where it you could. get stories from people of like trying to arrive at their campsite and some of the horror stories of how they've had to navigate hooking up their sewer, reaching the electrical box and all the crazy like extra extension attachments you have to have in order to make it happen. When you're backing in, we've talked about this before. Have somebody spotting you if you can. If, it, if you're a solo traveler, that's a little bit more difficult to do. But if there's somebody at the campground that can help you, don't be afraid to ask. Campers like to help out. Oh, yes, they do. And sometimes they like to help out too much. You don't need to have like a complicated set of hand signals and you don't need to be screaming at each other. The main function of that person helping you to back in is to tell you to stop. So what you're saying is we don't need to know all the flag movements that no, they do at no the airport semaphore. to bring in the plane. <laughs> You just need to be able to tell somebody how much room there is and and when to stop and be able to watch for the clearance. If it's nighttime, get a flashlight out and point it at things so that the person driving can see obstructions as they're backing up. And as a personal favor to me, for all of you who are the individual that gets out and kind of waves the person in, can we can we all agree that we're going to do it with some strong commitment? Yeah. Like really be a part of this. Like I always enjoy but sort of cringe a little bit when I watch people that get out and they're there to sort of help the person navigate and they're barely moving their arm like it's a real subtle sort of like move and they're just kind of standing there and the person that's driving you can see the like the boiling point of frustration this is where the shirt comes into play you can just see it's about to happen because they're not committed to what they're doing once you're into this spot and you want to you know obviously find them the most level spot possible. If you're in a trailer, really you're looking to be level left to right as much as possible. And you're going to use, if you're, if you're in a trailer and you've got your one axle, you've got a few axles that are next to each other. You're going to want to level left to right first. That's your very first thing. Once you've pulled in is make sure you're level left to right. And you're going to either use some blocks to block up one wheel or the other, or you can use one of the fancy different leveling systems. We really like the Anderson leveler, which is sort of a almost an eyebrow shape. that's sort of wider. It was a curve that's wider at one end and it comes to a point at the other end. So you can just back up on it. The more you back up on it, the higher up you go and the higher up you go. So you can get level by just the amount you're going back to front. Once you're level left to right in your trailer, then you just drop your tongue jack and unhook and use your tongue jack to level you front to back. You also might want to make sure you chalk the wheels before you unhook your trailer, of course, so your trailer doesn't go rolling down a hill. Yeah, please, please do that first. If you don't have a serious set of wheel chocks, we'll link to them in the show notes. Then you want to lower your stabilizers onto some blocks or some pads. And it's really important to put them on blocks or pads 
because they can sink into mud or even into asphalt if it's really hot outside. The important thing, though, is that stabilizers are stabilizers. They are not leveling jacks. Their job isn't to take the weight of the RV. Their job is to keep the RV stable, to keep it from shaking around as people are walking and moving through it. If you have a motorhome with a leveling system, first park as level as possible and then put your parking brake on and deploy your leveling system. If you don't have a leveling system like we don't because we're in a bus that didn't come with a leveling system. It didn't. I don't understand that. <laughs> Why wasn't a bus created with a leveling system? So what we do is we f- we get as level as possible in the site. And sometimes that means just moving left or right in the site, too, because you can see a lot of them are curved in different ways. But we get as level as possible. Sometimes we're at an angle. And then we figure out which wheels need to be blocked to raise us up on which corner. Usually it's one or two wheels, usually never more than that. We just set those blocks next to the wheels and then I pull forward and Abby slides them into place and then I pull back onto them. So we know that we were in the exact same spot and that usually works pretty effectively for us. Yeah, it does. And if you have a motorhome, you want to chalk the wheels as well. You may have a parking brake and everything, but you still want to chalk the wheels just in case you're, it's a lot of weight and you don't want it rolling down a hill. Okay, so now you're parked. Now you're going to want to hook things up. The first thing you want to do is deploy your steps. Obviously, your steps need to come out so that you can walk in and out of your RV conveniently. Or in our case, you just put the little steps. We have a step stool. Yeah, we don't deploy steps. We put a little (laughs) step stool out. First thing, plug into power, especially if you didn't test it already. Make sure it's working using a surge protector or an EMS electrical management system. We'll link to one in the show notes if you don't have one and want a suggestion. They are kind of expensive. They can be like 300 bucks or more, but they're sacrificial. So if there is a power surge, you might lose your EMS. You know, it might die in that power surge, but it's going to protect. I, I can't tell you there are countless stories about people. You know, the campground gets struck by lightning or there's just some random, you know, transformer blue and they lost their TV, their microwave, their washer and dryer, electronics that were plugged in, all of it. So it's really important thing to have. When you plug in your power, try to make sure to use the whole power cable. Don't keep part of the cable coiled up in your storage bin or sometimes people put them in a bucket or they, uh, or some sort of tote or something to keep a big, if you have a really long power cable, they keep it coiled up in there. Coiled up cables can get really, really hot and things can melt and bad stuff happens when you have a coiled up cable. So try to pull your whole cable out. If you have to coil it on the ground, you can, uh, a lot of people recommend you coil it in a figure eight on the ground that keeps magnetic inductance from happening that causes a lot of the heat or they say causes a lot of heat there's a lot of argument about that regardless heat happens when you coil up a cable and you want to avoid it connect your water with a potable hose you always want to use a white or blue or whatever color it is a drinking water hose that is made for drinking water and we talked about this on a previous episode i'll link to this article in the show notes as well that the the amount of lead that they have found in non-drinking water hoses some of them are made out of like recycled electronic parts and things like that you do not and i know everyone says well i grew up in the 60s drinking from a garden hose and nothing happened to me is that what they sound like when they say it they do okay i'm just talking but you that's having a little drink out outside when you're playing 
is different than your full-time drinking supply. So you really do want to use a, a drinking, even if, even if you don't drink the water, even if you're just showering with it and everything, it's just a good thing to do. It's a good thing to have to make sure that you're not mixing it up with your sewer cleaning hose and that sort of stuff. Yeah, let's not continue this conversation. <laughs> that is so gross. Make sure to use a pressure regulator. A water pressure regulator keeps campground water pressure from overloading your system. Sometimes that water comes out of those spigots really strong. It's and very surprising how fast it comes yes, out. Yes, especially at some state parks. Wow. Wow. And, and it can change too. You can have not great pressure and then it gets drastic once like people leave. Really make sure you have a pressure regulator. It's really important because if your plumbing blows out in your motorhome or your trailer, it could just destroy it. And if you want to use a water filter, and a lot of people do, this is the time to do it. You put your water filter on outside unless you have an indoor one. Connect your sewer. Now would be a good time to put gloves on. This is where gloves come into play. <laughs> the only time you should be wearing these gloves Actually, yeah, don't keep the glove. Don't like don't connect your sewer. Don't like put gloves on, connect your sewer and then go connect your water supply. Yeah, don't have like <laughs> setting up gloves that you use for yeah. everything. No. Water, sewer, sewer, electricity, gloves, just have sewer gloves. There are sewer gloves I mean, for setting what? up and sewer gloves for cleaning out that tank when you head to the dump station. And look, there are people that do all this without gloves and that's fine. I don't don't shame them at all. No shame in your game. As Just wash your hands you know, afterwards. Thinking about it and conscious of like not touching things and washing their hands and all that. A lot of campgrounds are requiring those little donuts now that you put a little donut into the, the little seal that you put into the sewer connection to make sure it's a sealed connection. A lot of times it's required by the health code. I wish we didn't have to call it a donut. I know. It really it kind really, of detracts yeah, from the, the, the yumminess the, the of, a yumminess of a donut. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to think about a sewer hookup when I say the word donut. You want to make sure that your sewer hose is connected solidly, that you've really twist locked it into place into the RV because there's nothing worse than going to dump and then you dump and the sewer hose comes undone. There's nothing worse. Like that's not a saying. That's like a legitimate. There is nothing worse in the RV world than your sewer coming unhooked when you are (laughs) dumping it. If you're using a sewer hose support system, if you've seen these are like a, it's like a it's like a roller coaster track for your sewer hose to make sure that it drains at the proper, the proper angle. angle. They're they're really very interesting. They really do draw attention yeah. to the fact that you got that sewer hooked up. Yeah. Now would be the time to set that up. Then you want to turn on your propane if you didn't drive with it on. And we've had lovely discussions about whether or not you should do that in the past. But you want to turn your propane on and light pilots if you're if your RV is old enough that it doesn't have automatic pilot lights. And then before you go inside, last thing you should really do is check again for awning and slide obstructions. Really, really want to make sure you're not going to put your slide out and hit something because you might be parked nicely. Everything looks great. Then you put that slide out and you hit a tree. Oh, hello, Mr. Tree. (laughs) Just really doesn't work. And actually, one of the things that gets in the way a lot that people forget about is the electrical box. So be really careful about that. We've actually seen that happen. It is not, it's not a pretty sight. And then you can go inside and deploy your sides. And still, it's best to have somebody watch the slides come out just to make sure. Same thing with your awning. Make sure nothing's in the way of your awning before putting it out. 
And then you want to put up your antenna if you've got an antenna that you raise. And you should check before you do that, too. Mm -hmm. Or uh, if you have a satellite, if you have a portable satellite, now would be a good time to get that going. Yeah, so you can watch those Cubs games. Especially if an outdoor TV. You can watch your outdoor TV while you set up the outside of your campground. Yeah, because it'll be so quiet because all your children will be inside (laughs) being wild monkeys from the long drive. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about sort of the fun stuff of setting up the outdoors of your campsite. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. And the first thing we want to talk about when setting up the outdoors of your campsite is figuring out how much you want to do. And usually for us, because we're full-time travelers, that's based on how long we're staying somewhere. Yeah. I, a lot of times if we're going to be somewhere for an extended period of time, we'll kind of do the full setup outside. If we're just going to be there for a weekend, I'm pretty good with the grill and five chairs. But if you only camp, you know, three weekends a year, you may want to go all out for for a weekend, especially if it's a big weekend and you're having people and it's going to be fun. You might want to go out. Absolutely. But one of the things Jason and I talked about as we were putting this together is the idea that there can be a lot of pressure to create an amazing campsite, no matter whether you're going for a week, two days, one day or an entire month. And for some people, that pressure is not fun. Look, that, you don't need to set up anything. No, you, you really just don't. Plug in and just be inside your RV and go spend the time elsewhere out there. A lot of people are going to a campground to camp at the campground. A lot of people are going to a campground to camp there and then go visit the area nearby. Absolutely. Right? So I think it depends on your use too. So if you're going somewhere for a weekend and you are going to be in that campsite for the entire weekend, That's a whole different thing than going out and touring a national park or something. So we're going to run through this list, but I would really like everyone to just think about the kind of camper they are and know that we're not saying you must do all of these things. You should do what is best for you and you should not worry what your neighbor's campsite looks like or what you've seen on the Internet or on Instagram, for instance. Just (laughs) go check out. Fort Wilderness at Disney World. Go to YouTube and YouTube search Fort Wilderness Christmas. Oh, my goodness. And you'll get to see the way or Halloween, the way some of the people set up their campsites there. The Halloween displays rival Halloween displays in fancy neighborhoods. You know, I think a good rule of thumb in general with camping and traveling is asking yourself, what can I not live without on this and when we were downsizing and even sometimes when we get to campgrounds jason doesn't know this but in my head i always hear that scene from Spaceballs where lone star says to princess vespa take only what you need to survive and then the next scene it pans out wide shot and they're traveling through the desert and there's just this immense amount of luggage 
Yeah. And they're like, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm the guy that drags the giant hair dryer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, they open up one of the trunks and she's got her big industrial strength hair dryer. And she says, it's my industrial strength hair dryer and I can't live without it. If you can't live without your industrial strength hair dryer, then you go ahead and you set that <laughs> hair dryer up. If you can be okay with not doing it. I generally play that scene from Spaceballs in my head. <laughs> Whenever we get somewhere new. At the same time, it is, it can be a lot of fun to really go all out and, and set up your, your yeah. campsite. And we do love to do that sometimes. It's an industrial strength yeah. hair dryer. You go ahead and set that all up. But sometimes it's nice to just dump the luggage and just be on your way through the desert. So the first item on our list is a rug. And we love having a rug. Actually, it was one of the things that we set out pretty much at every campsite unless it's just an overnight yeah because it's um, a great space for yeah. the kids to bring legos hot wheels train tracks some of their toys that they want to bring outside and encourages them to take those toys outside and have a designated place to play if you do use a rug you want to check to see that they're allowed first of all some campgrounds don't allow them because they're trying to keep you from killing their grass uh, and then if you do use a rug you do want to use one of the ones that are made for campsites this is one of the things when when people say like you put the letters RV on it and the price doubles using an RV rug or a camping rug is is sort of essential because they let the water flow through. It's not it's not like the it's not even like the rugs that you would put on your deck at home. They really let the water th go through. They even let some of the light go through. Even sand goes through it. So you a lot of campgrounds insist that you use this type of rug. But they're also just super convenient because even if it just rained like crazy, you can put it away and it'll still be pretty much dry. Yeah, we got a really great one from Camping World and we got it at a really good price. Yeah. And, and you can we, also find them all the time on clearance at like Walmart and Menards yeah. out of season. Then you want to decide if you're going to use a screen tent or not. And this. We are so back and forth on how we feel about the screen okay, tent. We, when we started out, we felt a screen tent was going to be essential. First of all, we had a kid that was just scared to death of bees. He, well, he got stung and then he yes. just felt like he couldn't be outside anymore. He was had a lot of anxiety. But also, we're you know, we're trying to avoid bugs and stuff like that. I didn't want them in my food. Screen tents can be great. They can be really, really annoying, especially when you've had them out for a while and they get sort of uh, those. What is that? Those the that, cotton, that wood. cotton wood stuff yeah. on them and it's impossible to clean off. And sometimes we just set it up and we don't use it. So to be honest, we haven't set up our screen tent in months, most of, mostly because we were in Southwest. We didn't need it. And there it. were really no bugs. But even when we had it set up, it was generally a place for us to put stuff when it was going to rain to keep it dry. And mm -hmm. we really spent no time in our screen tent. And some people have screen tents that they love and they spend all their time in. We just have not found a screen tent to be something that we spend our time in very often. It quickly became for us one more thing that we were saying, close the screen tent. Don't let the yeah. bugs in. Mm -hmm. And it just got to the point where I really thought, what is the point of constantly having to remind the kids? And this is just one more thing. You know, they're coming in and out, coming in and out. And let's just get rid of it. Like, just let them sit at the picnic table. And it is what it is. It's nature. Just be with nature. Camping chairs. You're going to want the. you're going to want to set up some chairs. That should be like the first thing you yeah, set up. Got to get well, those camping chairs. That's why I say put the rug out first, because then you can sit on the rug yeah. or the screen tent. If you want to put your chairs in the screen tent. That too. 
sometimes we put the, the chairs on our rug. Sometimes we put the chairs around the fire pit. Oh, we're just we're so just, wild. We're wild. We just, yeah. we're wild. We just wait till we get there and we feel out the space. Well, if there is no fire pit, they always go on the rug next to the, mm-hmm. next to the bus. Little sitting area. If you, uh, if you got a picnic table, you want to put a table. If you're going to use a picnic table, you might want to put a tablecloth on it. Okay. I got to I'm going to hold you up there for just a minute. Yeah. If someone listening knows where I can find hooks for the tablecloth that will open up wide enough to actually fit the picnic table and not break, please, please email me. I actually have the solution for this. We don't have them yet, but I have seen people do this and I know what we should be doing. And you are just now. And I'm just now sharing it with in you. The, in real time. They're called this. spring clamps. You can get them at Home Depot and it's a, it's a clamp that opens and closes with a spring in your hand and they're really cheap and they can open really wide and you can really clip your picnic table cover your tablecloth i guess is what they're called (laughs) with with spring clamps instead of those silly little clips that coughlin's sells in the you know the little camping section at walmart yeah the little metal ones they are useless the metal ones the plastic ones I think we have gone, we have tried at least four or five different picnic table. Half the time you're at a picnic table that they just don't fit on. No. And you have been holding out on me with this information about spring clips this whole time. Yeah. But also, you know what? We eat on our picnic table all the time without putting a tablecloth on it. It's not required, but it's something nice that sort of personalizes your campsite. Outdoor cooking. This is a, this is a big topic of conversation. Man, people can talk about this for hours. So, and some people have a, a outdoor kitchen on their RV already. Good for you. Yeah. Lucky you. You have it. You got it made in the shade already. But sometimes, you know, you got to decide, do you, are you going to cook outside or not? Uh, if you are, where are you going to put that grill? Do you want to put it next to the picnic table? Do you want to put it uh, next to one of those cool giant Cabela's kitchen station things? If you've never seen one of those, oh man, I They're want sweet. so bad. We have something similar, but it's smaller. Some, Ours is a GSI outdoors, which and, uh, we really like, yeah. actually. And honestly, sometimes we set up our outdoor kitchen in the screen tent. Sometimes that's where I cook outdoors. Yeah, if it's, it's just really buggy, yeah. we'll yeah. get the screen tent out. But like Jason said, we've just not needed it. We haven't yeah. really been encountering any bugs. Yeah, and sometimes I put it next to the picnic table and sometimes I put it next to the bus. You know, again, we're just wild and crazy. It just depends. <laughs> Depends on what we're feeling at the time. Yeah, we're those wild and crazy RVers you pull up next to and go, uh uh-oh. But if you do just have a grill, you probably do want to put it, either if it's a tabletop grill, put it on the end of your picnic table, or if it is a, you know, one that stands on the ground, put it at the end of your picnic table so you can use your picnic table as space for, you know, laying out food prep and that sort of stuff. Lighting. Outdoor lighting is my favorite part. I'm not even kidding. My favorite part of camping. It, it really is. is. It really does set the mood. It does. I loved the tiki torches that we have. Yeah. Tiki torches are great. Um, They're kind of annoying to haul around yeah. constantly. And they go f- through fluid so incredibly fast. But they're nice if you are staying stationary for a long period yeah. of time. When we were... At a particular campground near Chicago for two months, we set those out and we didn't have to like worry about them or anything. They were just out and it was lighting and it was really nice because we were in a permanent spot for a long time. We have not 
used them at all through the West because it's just kind of. Well, there's of, also a lot of fire bands and they're, they're yeah. very hard to get into the ground in the West and that sort of yes. stuff. But, but we just weren't in a place where we wanted to have that kind of setup for a long period of yeah. time. And tiki torches are super cheap. They're like two bucks a piece. But the fluid can be like eight bucks. Yeah, they for get a you with the fluid. That, that lasts you a day or two. And I've heard I've, I've had people recommend using diesel fuel before. So I tried that. Do not use diesel fuel in your tiki torches unless you want a campground full of thick, heavy black smoke that's reeks of of diesel. Fluid. Well, this is true confessions here, Jason, yeah. because I was not aware that yeah. you had done that. Yeah, well, I. I I quickly dumped it out and was like, that's not going to ever work. No, she is not going to be happy with that. Let me quickly Mm-mm. dump this out and make sure yeah. Abby never knows anything about it until we record a podcast many, many, many months later. If you're going to string lights across your awning, we like to string lights between uh, between the bus and a tree if there is one. Or on the ground. Or, we yeah, like to we do it on, on the ground, ground too. Sometimes. Or if there is a, a picnic table shelter, we'll kind of string them to that and back to the bus. But if you're going to string them across your awning, do it when your awning's sort of in the low position before you put it up in place. That way you don't have to get on a ladder or anything like that. Uh, we, of course, also like candles a lot, too. Candles are candles and lanterns of our outdoor lighting. And then lanterns. We use, we use the old-fashioned kerosene lanterns. They can be a pain as well to travel with because sometimes they get knocked over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gotten better at that. But we do. We just love the look of them, and we love the 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 practicality of the use of them, and not having to charge them with batteries and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. People can't <laughs> people can't hear your disdain for my spilling the the <laughs> kerosene. They can't see the look that you're giving me right now. They but they can feel it. They can mm-hmm. feel it coming through their speakers right now. An outdoor cooler can be handy if you're having like a party. You're having a lot of people over, and you don't want them going in and out of the RV. Often for drinks, setting out an outdoor cooler for them to reach in and grab a beer or soda or whatever can be super handy or just for yourself. So, that, you know, you've got it there right nearby you. If you, mm-hmm. don't have, if you don't have one of those fancy outdoor kitchens with an outdoor fridge, set your firewood out somewhere where it's not going to get wet. If you got a trailer uh, or a bus like we do that's high off the ground, you can usually set it under your RV. Uh, but you want to find a good spot where rain is not going to drench your firewood and please do pay attention to firewood restrictions a lot of places you cannot move firewood you have to buy it there you have to buy it nearby or you can't move firewood over so many miles you can't move it from state to state there's a great website called don'tmovefirewood.org that gives you all the different rules about fire quarantines because they have figured out that transporting firewood from mainly from people who camp is what has caused some massive bug infestations that are, that are killing trees across the country. Uh, we like to have a bike lock area to lock up bikes because bikes are one of those things that can get stolen from time to time at campgrounds. We have never had a problem of something being stolen at a campsite before. Oh, well, that's not true. We have? Actually, remember when Ethan left his scooter by accident okay. up well, at the yeah, playground? That was... Not from our campsite. It wasn't he from left our it at campsite. a playground and somebody took somebody it. took it. Yeah, they yeah. took it. They yeah. didn't take it back to the check-in. They didn't take it back to the visitor center or we were in a private campground, so they had like, you know, a designated place where you could go and 
check in and everyone who worked there. I don't know what it's called. Why is that name escaping me? The office. The office. <laughs> they had an office and they didn't return. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> it's been a long day. They didn't return the scooter. They took yeah. it home with them. So, you know, it wasn't a case of being taken from the campsite, but we did lose something. Yeah. And, and most people say they've never lost something from a campsite, but I have heard lots of situations of bikes being stolen, particularly thieves that have targeted a specific campground and stolen lots of bikes from a specific campground. So I do think it is important to lock up bikes and, and you don't need to lock them. You know, sometimes you can just lock them to each other. Uh, you can lock them to your grill. So that keeps your grill safe too. If you have an expensive grill, lock them to the picnic table, whatever you lock them to, just make sure that it's not something that's easily pulled out of the ground or they can't lift the lock over, you know, you can't, you can't lock it to it like a short post that they can just lift the lock over that sort of thing. Uh, finally with the outdoor setup, personalization can be a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people have little flags with their names on them or just those flags that say like those garden flags that say spring or USA where or you home park is, it. Yes, all that sort of stuff. Those can be fun or putting a lot of people put flags on the front of their RV or they have a, a sign with their name on it. There's this guy in one of the, I, and I wish I knew who he was or how to put you in contact with him, but there's this guy in one of the RV groups. And if you're in, in some of the RV Facebook groups, he'll probably pop up here and there who carves handmade signs for RVers. And, uh, and he's the guy that carved a lot of the, the wooden signs at Disney world. And he's like, Jason's like, personal hero, like the country bear jamboree signs and stuff. He did all that. And, and it's the same style and it looks just like it. And it's really cool. Um, but a lot of people have, you can go to craft fairs all the time and there are places there, there are usually stands where they'll carve you handmade signs. I think those are cool. We can have we, a little gnome we set up. We do. And can we talk about one type of personalization? I'm not going to go too deep. I'm not going to deep dive into this. You can always Google it. But does the pink flamingo really mean what everyone says? No, it the means. Pink, okay. No, we're going to we're going to talk about this because we can't just you can't just you can't just throw that bomb out there. I can because I would rather if grownups are listening that they just go and Google the pink flamingo. But I have seen thread after thread after thread that says if you put pink flamingos out around your RV, it means that you are open to a certain type of activity. Yeah. It's not what it means. How do you know that? Because you go to Florida and literally everyone has a pink flamingo in their lawn. Well, maybe that's a really popular activity in Florida, Jason. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying I am very I you know, but I've also heard it about the gnome. And I remember talking to you and saying, should we not there be putting are rumors the about out? everything? And you know what? No, if you want to put a flamingo out, put a flamingo out. It does not mean anything about you. Your face is so red right now. <laughs> it's so red. I have completely embarrassed you on our one year anniversary of the podcast. I finally did it. You are beyond horrified. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Those are our tips from setting up the outdoors. We could talk about setting up the indoors as well, but really that's all about sort of your personal preferences and what you like to do. But the a couple of little things you do want to make sure 
that you switch your fridge over to AC power if it doesn't automatically switch and, and you hook up, up to electricity. Turn on your water heater to electric power if you're hooked up to electricity so you're not using propane for that uh, unless you want to. Uh, and then if you're hooked up to city water supply, make sure to turn off your water pump because there's no need to have that on. And then you can set up the inside of your RV in whatever way you love to live. So that is our rundown of setting up your campsite. I do want to mention just two things about leaving the campsite that I always think are important. And I always recommend to people since this is sort of like a newbie episode. I think it is super important to turn off your water at the spigot when you leave your campsite because we have seen people gone for the day and all of a sudden water starts coming out of their door because there was a plumbing issue and because their water's on and they weren't home to see it their rv was flooded and it happens all the time we all know there are quality issues in this industry so really do think it's important to shut your water off when you leave your campsite. It's also very important to pull in your awning when you leave your campsite because a strong gust of wind can rip an awning right off. And we see that all the time too. Bye-bye awning. Ooh. All right. Let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. All right. Let's do it. All right. This one is a short and sweet one. A man pushes his car to a hotel and tells the owner he's bankrupt. Why? That's it? That's it. That's the whole deal. Wow. Yeah, figure that one out. (laughs) Okay, Jason, I will. (laughs) We'll have the answer to that and a whole lot more on next week's episode of RV Miles. We sure will. And if we can say for just one second, whether you are new to the podcast or you have been here since day one, thank you so much for inviting us into your life every week. It has been an honor for Jason and I to have been able to develop this podcast and to actually make it work for an entire year. That is amazing to me. So thank you to all of you who listen and who allow us the opportunity to do this every week. We couldn't do it without you. It's been a joy. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, L.L. Bean and Boondockers Welcome. Absolutely. You guys are great. And until next week, everybody, keep logging those RV miles. Bye. Bye.